The secret effect sometimes covers family violence, which could be triggering to someone who has experienced abuse. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Katie Greenland. I'm a sociologist, writer and researcher. And I'm Liz Kemry. I'm a professional comedian. So why the heck am I here? <laughs> I'm here because both on and off stage, all I do is talk about true crime or just fucked up shit that people do. And this is where we come together, Liz and I, because when I was 28 years old, I discovered that my dad had another secret family, which inspired me to do a PhD. It's called Family Secrets, Secret Families. And with this, I'm exploring the impacts of major family secret discoveries on people's lives. We realize the importance of our voice when we are silenced. Which inspires me massively because we are not keeping it secret anymore. And you can't make us. This is Katie's story, and she's here to share it with me and you. Welcome to The Secret Effect. We're back. It's been so long. It has been so long. But here we are at Betwixty number six. Mm -hmm. Number sixty? Betwixty sixty? Betwixty sexy? Yes. (laughs) It's so quick to run away from it. Who knows? It's been a long time. We're rusty. A long time. (laughs) Excuse us. Um, We've been away for a little while. We're doing some maintenance on the podcast, and we dedicated our entire last Betwixty to that. So if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to that. You'll have uh, an idea of where we have been, um, why we've been absent for a bit. And now we're picking up where we left off with DNA testing, some of the stuff that we promised we would do and we haven't gotten to yet, Mm -hmm. which is um a lot of sort of i don't even know the word for them corrupt yes okay corrupt doctors um taking advantage of these i would say what's what they what a lot of the articles make it seem like desperate women mm-hmm. or women who are desperate to be pregnant or families that are desperate to be pregnant taking advantage of their situation to kind of um make become someone in their career by using their own sperm to um, impregnate a lot of their clients Mm -hmm. who come to them with fertility issues. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we're talking about, uh, we'll cover a few of these corrupt fertility doctors today from all around the world. Um, Most of this uh, behavior occurred in the 70s and 80s so a lot of the fertility clinics that are working today are um, you know working with integrity it's not a problem mm. um, these are historical um, but you know the 70s the 80s it's not that long ago so we really wanted to cover some of these things because these people who are now in their 20s 30s and 40s well probably more 30s and 40s are starting to discover that because they were conceived with the use of sperm from the fertility doctor, instead of having maybe two siblings, one, two siblings um, from, you know, a, a donor that their parents have chosen, they actually might have 10 or 15 or 200 half siblings. Ew. Yes. Ew. So it's these family secrets are being exposed through mostly through dna testing sometimes through other means but we really wanted to do a bit of a deep dive into that today 
because this is happening now. This has been happening for the last, say, five years. Mm -hmm. And we think it's really important to start talking about this. Um, Yeah, it's like a modern consequence that is coming out of these DNA tests that were... I mean, I couldn't have imagined that this would be a result of direct-to-consumer DNA tests, that Mm -hmm. we would go back, that we would find out that um, (laughs) you would have, like, 40 to 200 biological siblings Mm. because of some corrupt doctor. Um, And a lot of them, in my opinion, are delusional doctors. Mm. Completely, completely delusional and thinking that they were doing something like for science mm-hmm. and bitch you kept it a secret you knew exactly what you were doing yeah for sure for sure and people i mean some of these doctors didn't even keep records right because at the time there were no electronic records of course and so they would have had to keep paper records but without a paper trail it's so much harder to prove things and i guess operating at the time in the late 70s um and through the 80s DNA technology wasn't something that they could have really predicted that it would blow open like this mm-hmm. um, and and these kind of secrets could be revealed. So I wonder what else is going to come of it. But also the the fact that one of the craziest things is like I can't a lot of them are all obviously in the same area because these doctors were located in one spot. So a lot of the people finding out that they have half siblings or biological siblings of some sort um (laughs) we're all in the same area Mm -hmm. like imagine if your first kiss and then you find out was your half brother Mm. what does that do to your Mm. brain absolutely and this is probably depends if he's cute enough (laughs) (laughs) it's a very real issue it it could happen i mean we'll cover a couple of these um today a couple in the u.s and a couple from other places around the world but it's a very real issue, and especially when you think about that families, individuals often stay in the city where they grow up. Um, it's not just them, but it's their kids as mm. well, the future generations who will share a significant portion of their genetic material, yeah. potentially with somebody that they would have a relationship and maybe children with. Right. And these are very important concerns in terms of health and medical. So. It's crazy that it was also just, like, not in the States or not in one right. location with one doctor. I mean, this was all happening all over the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's We've got uh, a couple that we'll look at, one in the Netherlands, which is where we live here. Um, there's one in Canada um, and then several around the U.S. that we thought we might look at today. Let's do it. Okay. I'm Let's ready. get into it. I'm so ready for this. <laughs> uh, one that we wanted to start with, it's one that is really fascinating to both of us. His name is Dr. Donald Klein, and he was a fertility doctor that um, operated a clinic in um, Indianapolis, which is in Indiana, uh, in the States, in America. And he worked from 1979 and through until about the late 80s in terms of his corrupt work where he inseminated many of his patients with his own sperm actually um, and he lied to them outright lied telling them that he was using the sperm of medical residents who were donors actually he was using his own sperm he was a top fertility doctor in the city so he had a reputation for being very very successful probably that fed into his 
um, behavior, mm-hmm. and this was maybe one of the reasons why he did what he did. It doesn't justify it, of course, but maybe it's one of the reasons that he had. It we sounds a little bit like that. That's what mm. drove him. If if like he he got notoriety via being so successful with mm-hmm. um, the, the results that he was pro- that he was providing for these women um, and their families, getting them pregnant, mm-hmm. and then it goes hand in hand in my mind that he was like. Yeah, I am successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my sperm is successful because it's if he outright lied, mm-hmm. he's aware that there were other options, mm-hmm. which I mean sure, as a doctor you probably are aware that there are other options. Mm-hmm. But that little ego boost knowing that's what's so fucked up mm-hmm. is knowing that's like him being like, "Yeah, but it's my sperm mm-hmm. that's successful." Yes, absolutely. And he uh I mean the doctor-patient relationship is something that should be based on trust and communication. That's one of the most important principles about medical care. And obviously there was a huge breach Mm -hmm. of trust here. There was a lot of deceit and lies. And um, he was treating women who were experiencing infertility. They weren't in his clinic because they found it easy to create a family. They were young women who were vulnerable, who were wanting something, who had a very powerful and profound need. And we're experiencing infertility and it's disgraceful and it's shameful that this is the way they were treated they were lied to um i would it was it was it like in artificial insemination or is he having sex with unconscious women he was using artificial insemination mm. so what he would do would be to have the woman lay down on the bed in the medical room inside the clinic and then he would say I've just got to go down the hall and organize the the treatment procedure mm-hmm. um so off he would go have a wank come back huffing uh. and puffing with the sperm sample that he'd collected from himself and then he would um, insert that into the woman so this was um, her chance every month she has one chance every cycle to become pregnant, there's a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, a lot of hope. These women were very vulnerable and they put their fertility, the future of their families, in mm. the hands of the most trusted fertility doctor in the state. Yeah, and money. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. And and reputation. I mean, um, there's, there's reports that some women were friends went to the same fertility doctor so oh oof you know their their kids are related they have the same dad yeah which like uh, something that i i can't get past as well is um sure okay there are effects where okay you now you have people in your community that you shouldn't mate with mm-hmm. because they could be your half you know sibling uh and that's awful as well but um <laughs> just the fact that like I, I don't know, I'd just be so mad be, that this creep's DNA mm-hmm. is in my family, and he's, ugh, ugh. That's right. It's a violation. It's an absolute and utter violation. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the really complicating factors is that legally there's no law against a fertility doctor using his own sperm to inseminate women. To this day? Uh, in some states in America, there have has been a lot of work actually by some people who've been conceived in this way right. um, to create laws against what they're terming 
fertility fraud, mm. which is amazing. Yeah. It's such progress because then if there's a legal basis against which you can make a complaint and, and pursue a conviction against this kind of behaviour, then, you know, hopefully justice can be served in a way. I mean, you can never take that back. The person's there. Yeah, um, exactly. But I think it gets really complicated because you look at the who who the question I think we can ask about about this stuff is who has been wronged because we have the woman who has been lied to and deceived and told that there's a particular donor who sperm will be used. But then we also have the child who becomes an adult and then discovers through Ancestry.com or 23andMe that actually they've got 67 no, half siblings. <laughs> yeah, no, um, not yet. Um, um, and so I think that's a really interesting question in terms of who sit, who's, who the effects sit with. Um, of course, yeah. Anyway, I've just lost my train of thought. Did that say Indianapolis or Indiana? Indiana? Oh, okay, because uh, Donald Klein is from Indianapolis. Our producer just showed us that Indiana was the first state with um, uh, fertility fraud yes. put into law. I think that's the state, though, isn't it? And Indianapolis is the city. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm just wondering if it has it. Is it Indianapolis? Like someone from there? Yes. Um, I think that... Um, but Indianapolis is where? Inside Indiana. Yeah. So is yeah. it... Because I'm just wondering if it was somebody who was affected by this who put it into act. That's my question. I think it is. I think some of the people who worked really hard to bring this to light and to bring this Dr. Donald Klein to justice mm -hmm. have actually contributed towards the legal basis for fertility fraud yeah it sounds like it yeah yeah um uh, which is fantastic they're such incredible advocates uh, it would just be interesting that it wouldn't just be an automatic thing it's just like automatically you cannot do that <laughs> why right. anybody would have to like lobby for it or um something seems so i mean it's actually not far-fetched considering the state of things these days but um no that's true and i it makes you wonder why these doctors did this. I mean, I think we have some very interesting questions in terms of, from my perspective, this man, Donald Klein, is a perpetrator. Um, maybe it's not legally recognised all around the world as being a crime, but, you know, if I was ruling the world, it would be a crime. Definitely. And so this man is a perpetrator so why, what is going on in this kind of person's head that makes them think that this is acceptable as a medical professional? I mean, we can ask, is it, as you mentioned before, did he think he was helping people? Did he feel pressure to keep his high percentage of success rates yeah. of pregnancies um, and status in terms of a top doctor? Did he have a God complex? Was it an ego thing? power and control and abuse of patients there's so many things that could be wrapped up yeah. in why somebody makes a decision to not just one time but um multiple times consistently over many many years you know 10 years up to 10 years in donald klein's case mm -hmm. 
uh, and we have, I think, um, it sounds like a fifty family sprinkle of a god complex, a pinch of ego, <laughs> being ego, what's it, egocentric, but yeah. more so, what's egotistical. Like, egotistical. It's a little pinch of la la la. He's not thinking about any of the women. He's not thinking like I'm creating a human being that they with this person he's not thinking anything past his encounter with them like Mm. then she's pregnant and she goes away and i've been successful it sounds Mm. like it all stops at his wherever his front door is Mm -hmm. and and past that he doesn't think he doesn't consider anything Mm. it's all to do with his ego Mm. all to do with his ego god complex you know for me it sounds like Mm. i agree i think it's definitely god complex and in this particular doctor's case he talked a lot when he was confronted by um jacoba ballard who's one of the first to discover this and one of the strongest advocates and um leaders in the movement against him and to bring him to justice um he she had a phone call with him and she asked him why did you do this and he started quoting bible verse back to her no girls and no, no, no. Of, yeah it's it's ridiculous and some of the verse that he was quoting was talking about how if you're involved in conception you have uh, some kind of um significance in the creation of that life and that is exactly like the ultimate god God complex. complex um this man was extremely conservative very religious very on the surface, straight and narrow. His wife was aghast when she found out about this because she um, considered this to be adultery mm-hmm. because he was inseminating so many patients, even though probably it wasn't sexual as such. It doesn't sound sexual. It just no. sounds egotistical mm-hmm. and it sounds God-complexy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, new term. Yes, new term. It sounds also like... a a science experiment mm-hmm. in a way because who knows what he is setting off into the world mm-hmm. because of all of the implications for this generation and future generations. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's a social and a scientific experiment. Yeah. And I'm, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm realizing more and more, the more straight and narrow you are on the surface, the more truly corrupt and probably crooked you are. Mm -hmm. That's what's to be the truth. If you don't have a drinking problem, I don't trust you. (laughs) I don't fucking trust you. (laughs) Cheers. (laughs) Although I am drinking water, but... um, The way that these particular secrets with Donald Klein have been uncovered and Jacoba Ballard, who we mentioned before... She has done a lot of work using genetic genealogy, which keeps coming up for us at The Secret Effect. Um, these are the some of the techniques that uh, build a very extensive family tree um, once people start getting their DNA tested using these home DNA test kits and they can build up a more and more extensive tree. They can kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together and answer some questions about who is the biological father. Via genealogy? Yes. So genetic genealogy. What's yep. the difference between DNA testing and genetic genealogy? DNA testing is um, just the mapping, I guess, of a person's DNA. Okay. Um, and then genetic genealogy is a particular technique that 
um, genetic genealogists and also people like um, Jacoba do when they they just start to do some um, they build a family tree basically so that's the the genealogy like the family history so in the DNA testing they have to have like a match DNA wise scientifically but with genealogy you can then see well this person was married to this person at this time even though their DNA is not in the system we can link them to this and then we can maybe find another so it's kind of like uses the DNA testing as a guide and then yes. can and then through like records can create a bigger tree mm-hmm. okay. yes that's right you can work out um so say for example Jacoba might have tested um her own DNA maybe the DNA of her siblings and maybe the DNA of the parents who raised her mm-hmm. maybe she has zero DNA match with her dad because mm-hmm. her dad is actually Dr Donald Klein Ugh. and so uh, she can see who is her full sibling, who is her <laughs> mm-hmm. f- mother, yeah. um, and then there's a gap. And so if enough of these half-siblings, Jacoba and all of the mm-hmm. many, many dozens of people that Donald Klein has produced, um, she can they can start to see, okay, who are all of those people related to reach out to them yeah. through these companies, through Ancestry, 23andMe or whichever company, and start to ask questions. Um, you can put places to names as right. well because people right. often put um, the city that they're from or the city that they live in. And yeah. so you can message people through these systems or you could reach out to them on Facebook or something like mm-hmm. that and ask questions. So slowly but surely you can start to build a picture which is not conclusive but it points towards yeah. A person who is yeah. a likely father. Yeah, like in, in Betwixt I think, three, when my dad talked about, like, the only kind of conclusive evidence he had of our family tree was the signature at mm-hmm. Ellis Island of one of my great-great-blah-blah-blah-grandfathers. Do you think that these doctors got away with this at this time? Because it was during a time more so than they would today because it was at a time when we questioned less or had less of an opportunity to reach out to people when we had our concerns because it feels Mm -hmm. like i mean in my mind this like i'm giving birth to this baby and it it, you know it plops out with like a lab coat on looking like (laughs) dr klein and um and the women at the time were just like well, it must just be a coincidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess I'll make him some boxed jello and go <laughs> on with my life. Yeah, I do think that they were encouraged to not ask questions and they were encouraged to not tell the child that the child was donor conceived at oh, all. Right, right, right. Secrecy was the norm. Um, also the original living the fantasy. Yeah, totally. They're just living the fantasy. Yeah. They, if you think about the socio-political context in the late seventies, in the early to mid eighties, um, there was a lot more stigma around infertility, a lot more judgment. And I think talking about these kinds of issues that people experience was a lot more taboo. Uh-huh. It was kept under the rug. Yeah. You were... Um, I can only imagine because women yeah. nowadays feel broken if they're unable Absolutely. to conceive. Yeah. I mean, thank goodness we know that it, it takes two to tango these days, which is nice. It takes a little bit of the pressure off. Yes. Because, um, you know, obviously back in the day it was like, 
I mean, Henry had how many wives because mm-hmm. it was his fault. They they couldn't, you know, they, the they, yeah, the guy, yeah, yeah, the guy makes the gender and he was looking for a son. And little did he know yes. his little sperms were failing him. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. The king of England. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So Dr. Donald Klein. Yes. So when um, Jacoba was doing some of her work and some of her, I was going to say colleagues, they weren't colleagues, they were half-siblings, some of these people knew that they were donor-conceived and some didn't know. So some families had told their kid, um, this is where I made you, this is the clinic, this wonderful fertility doctor um, has helped us create a family. And so they made it a beautiful story that was something um, really meaningful for that child. So the donor... Um, who they didn't really have much information about, but the donor was given a position in the child's life as being somebody who gave a gift, really, yeah. to the family. Yeah. Actually, some of these um, adults didn't know that they were donor-conceived at all. That wasn't something that the family had told them because they'd been they'd kept this secrecy. Um, and they did the DNA tests and found out, or they were contacted by some of their half-siblings. Right. Um, who put the pieces together. Um, And one of the things that's really interesting with the Donald Klein situation is that we actually don't know exactly how many people were created using his sperm in this way because we don't have... um, He didn't keep records, so it's possible that there's even more. Did he die before we found out his his little secret? Uh, I think he's still alive. I think so, but we can double check that. I think he's still alive. He's an elderly man now. I think he's in his 80s. However, I have, because, okay, so I have, um, he was given a 365-day jail sentence Mm -hmm. that was suspended. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically then, nothing. Yeah, so nothing happened. Through uh-huh. a lawyer, Dr. Klein surrendered his medical license to the state, and a state medical board barred him from ever getting a license again. Dr. Klein had already retired mm-hmm. when they suspended his license anyway. Yeah. And his license had expired in 2017. So he was given a sentence he never uh, served, and they barred him after he was already retired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, he was also given a $500 fine. Ooh, yeah. tough. Can you imagine if that $500 fine was shared among all of the people that he had wronged? I mean, everybody would get like four bucks or whatever, like six bucks. Yeah. I mean, I mean even that's justice right there. Yeah, that's... It's disgusting. Um, you know, some people around Dr. Klein defended him. And I've got a couple of quotes from people who came out, people from his church community, elders in his church community. Oh, I mean. Who can fucking rot in hell. Could have seen that. Could have seen that coming. Uh, One of his friends wrote, Dr. Klein always put his patients first. Empathetic and full of compassion, he sought ways to help families (laughs) through this most tender period when both husband and wife feel helpless. We can also empathise with a couple waiting expectantly because the time is right and can understand the devastation that would wash upon them if there would be no viable sperm donor at that critical moment. That is so narrow. Mm-hmm. Of co- But the families didn't... They Of course there are options like that, that the family 
could have done, right, to get pregnant. That's not what they wanted to do to get pregnant. It wasn't the only option. <laughs> like, they were trying in other ways. And then maybe it's not worth it for them to be pregnant if they're going to be pregnant, impregnated by this creepy old man. Yes, exactly. Like, <laughs> it's it's so deceitful. It's so wrong and it's such an abuse of the position of a medical professional and a patient relationship that just reminds me of like pro-life where it's like um the most important thing is to just bring that life in in into it's kind of a step before that where Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how it happened just so long as this family was blessed with the one thing that matters the most in life Mm -hmm. and that's just not the case and it's so unfair and deceitful Mm. oh completely it's um in terms of the women that he inseminated one of the women um who had a son by him she said that when she found out she felt as though she had been raped 15 times (gasps) because he inseminated her with his sperm 15 times and of course Every month you have a chance, so you'll go in for maybe the three days that you're just about to ovulate and maybe on your ovulation day. And so she, of course, did this for um, several months. Um, and so this was her personal experience of, of what that felt like. Other people, other women have also described it as a violation. It's not of course it is. a justification. Like this healthy baby that you get out of it in the end is not a justification for this kind of um, abusive, no. deceitful no. behaviour. Absolutely not. We wondered whether um, Dr. Klein... I don't even want to fucking call him Dr. Klein. I just want to call right. him Donald Klein. Um, yeah, Donald. Because Ew, doesn't just Donald, though, make his, make his sperm even worse? Like, <laughs> Donald just makes his sperm, like... F- like sour to me the yeah. name donald i'm so sorry to all the donalds out there but like <laughs> this donald in particular is just like like Ugh. like spoiled sperm like yeah. sour gooey yuck yuck yeah <laughs> i don't know why that's donald. really gross but Ugh. yes exactly okay sorry um this donald he has never Ugh. explained in detail why he did this so it's up to us to um to guess and make some educated guesses he did tell um one of his biological children so this is jacoba ballard that um that he did regret what he had done so she called him and um she actually recorded the phone call um but then he just kind of started quoting the bible at her and she was incredible and she basically said fuck you don't you dare try and use my religion um, against me and mm. make it about this you actually just need to take responsibility um, for it yourself so we wanted to ask is it an immoral act is it a crime or something like this against the children or only against the parents I mean the implications for this it just like with any reproductive family secret it's not just for one person in that moment mm. in time, it's for generations, yeah. quite possibly. Yeah. And throughout communities, mm. throughout the city of Indianapolis in this particular case. Yeah. Um, is it ever justifiable? Um, and we were wondering 
what is it what would it be like to have this person as one of your biological parents yeah. this is your dad your biological dad yeah, not the dad like, who raised yeah, you people like what the fuck would that be like imagine going on like a five-year doesn't even matter two-year five-year ten-year journey trying to find your biological father mm-hmm. and you end up here at this corrupt doctor just shooting sperm to you know get a boost of ego adrenaline mm-hmm Gross. It is. Should we we move on to another one? Yes. Because there's more, baby. There is more. Happening all around the world. There's some, because it says here, there are ongoing lawsuits in Idaho, Vermont, California, Canada, and the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We have one uh, in Utah. I just have a little on this one. Um, Mm. Cecil Jacobson. Mm -hmm. Um, He... I wanted just to just with him to focus on the reasons that he gave for doing the okay. same behavior because I think that's really fascinating yeah. about what makes these guys tick. Yeah. For me, I love that you're fascinated in, in it as well because it reminds me of um I and I, I don't know their names, but it Mind Hunter is based on them who studied serial killers in order to like learn and predict their behavior. And this is kind of a similar situation where mm-hmm. if we can understand how these men tick and why we can prevent these situations or um, hone in on them faster. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And also they use the same genetic genealogy techniques as they do to discover these kind of serial killers like the Golden State Killer. So there's a lot yeah. of kind of Crossover. juxtapositions. Um, so yeah. Cecil Jacobson back in the... Um, early 90s he was convicted um, but he did this to around 15 women um, and he said when he was he was um, convicted he said I'm in shock I really am Jacobson said after the verdict was announced I spent my life trying to help women have children if I felt I was a criminal or broke the law I would have never done it and his lawyer said if Cecil made any mistakes, it was in losing his objectivity and trying so hard to get patients pregnant. Ugh. I mean, the poor guy. Like, imagine, you know, going to court for all this. Um, so he was convicted. The lawyer is saying he cared too much. Yeah. yeah. Much too much. Mm-hmm. Poor guy. Poor guy. We've dragged him through the courts. Oh, poor guy. He just has the big old heart. Yeah. That makes his dick throb. Oh, that's so disgusting. Sorry. Um, he was convicted of mail fraud, wire fraud, and perjury. So these mm-hmm. things don't really seem to be directly related to yeah. fertility fraud. However, these were some of the thing, the crimes that existed in terms of a criminal yeah. law. Um, because there, were, of course, was not a law against what he did. Well, yeah, because there wasn't. Yeah, because there wasn't a law for it. No. And you know, instead of kind of putting that into place, it's more like, I guess it's good because we can get them on these things. Mm-hmm. But yes, it's just a, we need to, yeah, focus. That's right. Um, another one we have in Canada, you mentioned Canada before. This is if we sort of step a bit north of the US. Um, we have Norman Barwin who inseminated at least 11 women from the 1970s and his genetic children, they discovered their um, parentage through the same method which was by taking DNA tests um, one of the one of his kids discovered uh, she has celiac disease which is uh, gluten very severe gluten intolerance and that's genetic you can only have that if one of your parents 
has it. Yeah, and for the skeptics out there, this is the, you know, (laughs) celiacs is for real. You can't even cross-contaminate. These people are in Mm -hmm. danger. Yes. Uh, So one of the the kids took a DNA test. It turned out that the parents, and the parents did as well, I think, and the dad had zero um, genetic relationship to the child. Uh. Um, So... The medical authority in the area, who is the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario, they described this man, um, Norman Barwin, as having committed an act of professional misconduct in that he failed to maintain the standard of practice of the profession. He engaged in acts or omissions that would reasonably be regarded by members as disgraceful, dishonourable or unprofessional. The discipline committee also found that Dr Barwin is incompetent. So Canada was slightly harsher. He had to pay a fine of over 10,000 bucks and he had his registration revoked. So we're seeing a little bit more of a harsher response and the medical authority stepping out and saying, actually, this is inappropriate. It's wrong. They could have been tougher in Mm. their statement, but you know what? At least he was held to account in some way, unlike our friend um, Donald Klein, who yeah. paid 500 bucks and was already just retired. Yeah. Never had to be held to account at all. I like the little bit in there that says, like, an, a, reasonable, a reasonable person might say. We have Dr. Jan Kabat. He's closer to home for us. He's mm. He was. Mm-hmm. He's passed away now, I think two or three years ago. But he was a doctor who was working at a clinic near Rotterdam, which is a city... Um, in the south of the Netherlands. So his DNA was tested. His kids, his biological children um, gathered together and they did some really incredible work to kind of bring this to light. And they fought in the courts to have his DNA um, collected from his home, from some of his effects and tested. And they therefore were able to prove that it was him that uh, inseminated a whole lot of women who were his patients at his fertility clinic. And indeed, there were 49 children. Oh, my goodness. Yes. 49. So that was at the beginning. These 49 children were the adult children, you know, in their 20s, 30s. They took um, this case to court. Actually, now the figures are estimated to be up to 200. Oh. 200 half siblings out there maybe full siblings because for example one woman might have gone back two or three times to the same yeah clinic and yeah. um Jan has inseminated her multiple times yeah yeah so this is only these are 200 is only the amount of times that this man was successful the sperm was successful uh-huh. yes that's true yeah the amount of violations would have probably been many more times than many that. more yeah because you don't get pregnant necessarily the first month that you're attempting to do it so i'm not even i mean i'm i'm impressed at this point he calls himself a pioneer in the field of fertilization i'm sure he does indeed he i'm is. sure he does yep he's certainly a pioneer <laughs> he's going out there making all these kids and making them just go ahead and have sex with each other and yeah keep doing all that and then pioneer more you know for sure i mean rotterdam is uh and the rotterdam area it's not like a no it's it's a small city yeah um it's 
this kind of behavior comes with very serious risks, uh-huh. very serious risks. And it's, um, it's extraordinary. I mean, what would that be like for you as a mom, as a dad, as one of these kids to find something like this out? The discoveries just keep on coming. And of course, in every one of these cases, some of the kids are told that they have been conceived with the use of donors and some of them haven't. And so they have so many more things to discover. Firstly, that they were conceived with donors. And secondly, that the fertility doctor was their actual biological father. Um, if you're interested in and finding no out more about knew? this. And no one knew? Like, the, the, none of the women knew? None of the dads knew? Like, did the... Did any of the fathers know? Were these all complete secrets? Like, I mean, are the... Well, the... I mean, everybody obviously knew that they were using a donor, but they didn't know that it was the fertility doctor. Mm-hmm. They believed that they had chosen a particular person, you know, from the catalogue or that it was... They were told that this person had these particular characteristics. It matched the father kind of thing. Um we have, um, there's a documentary called Hetzad van Karbat, uh, excuse the Dutch accent attempt, but it translates to the seed of Karbat and you can check that out. We'll provide a link to it. Um, and it's a, it's quite a short documentary, but it's a good one that looks at the implications and it, there's some interviews with some of the people involved in this work to bring this man to justice. Mm. So it's well worth checking that out. Um, there's this one bit here that the, which I also found interesting that I wanted to bring up with you, um, that's a bit random, but like, you know, as far as like the lies, like did the parents know and all this stuff, um, this one article mentions here that some of the families that were, this happened to, mm-hmm. um, were offered sperm from men who looked like their partners. Yes. Because... I just think that's such an interesting detail to highlight the fact that these um, families or, you know, the the couples are going through such a traumatic experience trying to get mm-hmm. pregnant in the first place. So much so that they're trying to, you know, kind of have it be a little bit more in their comfort zone that the child might look like a product of the two of them. And that helps shape a lot of relationships in some weird way we talked about in Mm. a a previous episode how like your babies look like you and what kind of effect that has on your identity and your emotional relationships with Mm -hmm. um like family and so a lot of these families are looking for people who like they're promised you know sperm from men who look like and then they they all look like one you know Mm -hmm. variations of one dude that's right Uh, but it's just uh, yeah yeah for sure the resemblance factor is very strong and I think particularly in families where it's been an extremely difficult experience around infertility um, maybe around some shame and Mm -hmm. um, hardship and Mm -hmm. what uh, complexity that's caused for the relationship between the intended parents it just must be so, so difficult and you're in yeah. a very fragile... It's a minefield. Yeah. Yeah. A very fragile situation and, you know, you trust this medical professional um, and you hope that your child will resemble you, at least to some extent, like maybe brunette or mm-hmm. maybe 
you know, a particular skin color, maybe it's not down to the, the wire of, okay, has a master's degree in such and such, mm-hmm. but you know what? The resemblance, the physical resemblance sure. factor is, um, is Even important the, to many people. Yeah. And maybe it's, it sounds, um, like if you look at it from the other perspective, maybe they're doing it as well for the kid. Yeah. So they can kind of um, feel like they fit in the family more yes. and have less lasting effects on the child. Um, you know, I don't know if they're, you know, thinking about that as well, if you're quick to judge them. I am, mm-hmm. I, I have sweat. Me too. Um, Do you have under boobs? Everywhere. Sweat? I've got under boobs. I don't sweat. have boobs big enough to have an under boob <laughs> <back> location. <sweat. laughs> but like the general region, yeah. I'm sure is sweating. Yeah. It is so hot in the Netherlands it's today. It's fucking hot. We're having a heat wave. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. we can't complain. No. Because it's, it's so wonderful. It's wonderful. These are the four days of the year we get to <laughs> enjoy any hot weather. Yeah. Yeah. But Lord Almighty, yes. I uh, we're perspiring. I feel we're so expiring. bad because we're on your brand new couch, <laughs> and oh, yeah. so much of my DNA will immediately be soaked <laughs> into this couch. Well, should there be any children in the future who we have questions about, <laughs> they can come and collect that and uh, hold you to account, Bitty Camry. That sounds good. <laughs> I think that's been betwixty sixty. <laughs> yeah, Betwixt yeah. Sexy. Follow us on The Secret Effect on at The Secret Effect on Twitter and Instagram. Sign up to our Patreon. If you want to get involved, send us an email to info at thesecreteffect.com. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you think. Yeah. Tell us what you loved. Yeah. Tell us what you hated. Yeah. Tell Casey, us what you loved again. Casey. Katie <laughs> is a sociologist. And what I'm realizing is that is even more amazing is that it there are so many questions and it's about gathering collective thought and insight. And we want everybody to be represented in that. And Katie and I are just two people. So this podcast um, would be a thousand times better if we had more representation from a diverse group of listeners. Uh, So any and all insight is more than welcome Mm. on our um, socials or at our email. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to hear from you. Yes, we love your feedback and we always talk about it and take it into account. So please keep it coming. Yeah, we always talk about it. Yeah. The Secret Effect is produced by Patrick Collins with music by Sasha Hudemacher and your hosts, Biddy Kemry and Katie Greenland.